You're listening to the Anchor Oneana Podcast. For more information, visit us online at anchoroneana.com. It is good to be here. It is good to be with you all. I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. It's like, you know, isn't the month where we're supposed to talk about what we're grateful for and who we're grateful for? Like, you at Anchor are top of the list. I am so blessed to be here with you each and every week, getting to know you. If I don't know you, I want to. So come up and say hey to me, and um, I'll introduce you to my crazy husband, and you'll get a kick out of that. Um, It has been kind of a wild ride for me. So um, the last... Um, in May of 2018 is when I started preaching regularly um, on Sunday evenings at Anchor. And those of you who've been with me for this last year plus, we've been walking through the Word of God, kind of exploring the origins of the Word of God, exploring um, how He provided His Word for His people. We talked about all the way through Genesis, all the way through we've talked about how he, um, he presented his word at first through revelation, sometimes in, um, in person, sometimes in visions, sometimes in dreams, often accompanied by fire and smoke and power, right? And then we talked about how we got to the time of Moses and we chatted about how at that point, um, we started, they, Moses started to write down the word of the Lord. And from then on, the people um, were supposed to seek the Lord through his actual written word, right? And we are today closing our time in the Old Testament. Now, I know people who have spent time, who, who kind of think that we ought to ignore the Old Testament and what the Old Testament has to say to us because the Old Testament is pre-Jesus, right? And that's the Old Covenant. And we don't live under the Old Covenant. We live under the New Covenant. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? But I mean, there have been prominent preachers who say, don't even bother opening the first 20, 37 books. Just, just go ahead and skip them. Start with Matthew and you'll be all right. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? So you're probably thinking to yourself, why has Amy spent a year and a half talking through the Old Testament with us? Have any of you, like, if you're being real with me, how many of you have been like, wow, she just needs to get to Jesus? Nobody? Aw, you guys are so nice to me. You've been thinking it. You just aren't saying it. I know. But do we know, like... We have actually been looking at this, and I hope that you've been seeing this, and we're going to talk about this next week a lot. We have been seeing Jesus, right? We have seen Jesus in every single narrative, every single text. Every bit of it has been full of Jesus Christ because John 1, 1, what? In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, there was not anything made that was made, right? Who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. So as we've been chronicling the Word of God from Genesis now through Malachi, right? We have been talking about Jesus. And next week, we're going to actually take a step back and look at all the times that we've been chatting about Jesus. But if you remember last week, what did we kind of end on last week? Who did we end on last week? 
that really good last king of Judah, his name is Josiah, right? We talked about Josiah and how Josiah, one of the last kings of Judah, found the word of of God buried in the temple, pulled it out and reformed the nation of Judah, trying to bring the people back into alignment with the word of God, right? Was he successful? Yes. Did it keep Judah from being um, invaded and taken into exile as the Lord had had prophesied was going to happen? No, it did not. All right. But we talked about in the last couple of times we talked about the kings and how they um, many of the kings of Judah and all of the kings of Israel just totally forsook the Lord and his word and his commandments and his covenant. They left and they followed after other gods and it brought it to the point where God said, I am done with you. I have to send you into exile because why? Why did God have to send them into exile? Because he promised them he would. See, I want us to look at the fact today that the covenant, the word covenant, I was, I was kind of reminiscing um, a, little bit, a little bit sentimental the last couple of weeks. Talk about being grateful. I'm, talk, I'm thinking about the fact that my father... And the elders of this church, the word covenant is such an important word for this congregation. How do you think a pastor lasts 40, are we up to 43, dad? 43 years in a church. It's because my dad made a covenant with the congregation. The congregation has made a covenant with him. My dad made a covenant with the elders and the elders made a covenant with him. I am a product of the covenant You are all a product of this covenant. What is that word, covenant? I made a covenant with my husband on the day we stood right here and got married 20 plus years ago. What is a covenant? It's a promise. It's a promise that you make, but it's, it's, it's an agreement. And we started back the very first conversation we had talking about Abraham. Abraham and God make a covenant together, right? And then God makes a covenant with Moses. And then God makes a covenant with David and all of the people of Israel. And God has made a covenant with us, his chosen covenant people. Those of us who consider, who who call ourselves father, followers of Christ, right? So all of us are covenant people. And as we look today at the time of exile, I want us to kind of put ourselves into the place of the covenant people who have broken their covenant. Now, you might say to me, I haven't broken my covenant to the Lord. I, I hope and pray that we are a covenant people at anchor who do not break our, our side of the bargain. But I can tell you if I'm being really honest with you, I frequently don't live up to my side. There are things that I'm supposed to do that I do not. We're going to look at this today, and I think you're going to identify more with the people of Israel who break the covenant, but are trying to get back into this covenant relationship with God. Are we all on the same page? All right, very good. So last week, we we ended with Josiah. He tried to reform the nation. Didn't really work. And uh, I mean, it worked. There was all this you know, all of this return to worshiping the Lord the way they were supposed to, and he he restored the temple, and he took down all of these um, 
altars and temples to other gods. But the Lord said, good job, Josiah. And because you've done that, I'm going to wait until after you're gone before I bring my judgment. But judgment is coming. We talked about the fact that Assyria had already come in and carried off the, the, the nation of Israel, right? The nation of Judah has stood alone for a couple hundred years, and now we get to the point where they're going to be taken as well. And Babylon comes in, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and destroys the temple and carries off the people of Israel. He carries off a lot of them. He leaves a lot behind, too. Some of us in here might identify with feeling like an exile. We, you might feel like an exile in your place of work, right? You're working with people who, who are not covenanted with the Lord, who don't follow him, right? You might feel like an exile in your family. You might be the only one in your family who stands firm in your faith, while all the rest of them follow after other gods. You might, be, you might be living in you know, a community, a Christian community, but still feeling like you're just not fitted in, right? Because some of them were left behind in exile. They were left behind in Judah, but they were scattered, and they had no, no connection. They had no place to worship. They had no, um, n- no religion to bind them, right? The temple had been destroyed. Their, their holy city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And they're scattered. And the people of God are scattered all over the empire of Babylon. Anybody identifying with, that, with um, the, Juda- the Jewish people at this point? A little bit? All right. So this happens in 586 B.C. is when Nebuchadnezzar comes in. But God doesn't leave his people in exile. He, even if we make mistakes, even if we break the covenant, he promises he's not going to leave us there, right? He is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And he comes and he establishes his word to Cyrus, the king of Persia, who comes in after, after Babylon, Persia steps in, right? And he calls to Cyrus and he says, Cyrus, it's time to send my people back, back to Jerusalem. They need to go back. They need to establish their temple. They need to establish their holy city. He says it to the ruler. The people don't, they don't fight for this. They don't stand up for themselves. God stands up for them. All right. So we're going to pick this up in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. I'm going to read a lot of portions of Ezra and Nehemiah. I just wish I, I mean, like, I wish I could have time to read the entire two books because there's so much cool stuff in in these two books, but we're just going to pick a a few portions out and look at them, all right? So Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus, who rules in Persia from uh, 590 to 529 B.C., okay? The Lord says to him, okay, Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem. It's destroyed the temple. You need to send some people back there. And he sends a couple, he sends a lot of people, including a man named Zerubbabel, who come back and they begin to rebuild the temple. I think it's like amazing to me that they come back to Jerusalem and the first thing that they do is rebuild the temple. Guys, we need to focus on our temple. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, Remember how we talked about a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Solomon had established all of these protections for himself and for his kingdom. Remember, he, he makes all these political alliances because he's trying to protect himself. He hoards all of this wealth and money because he's trying to keep his, himself and his country protected. The, when the people, when the covenanted people of God come back to Jerusalem, they don't build the walls first. They build the temple first because they know that's where it's at. They know that they failed the Lord, that they stopped worshiping him and went after other other gods, that they focused on themselves and their protection. Guys, I challenged myself today, and I want to challenge you that we have focused too much on ourselves, and in this country we are way too concerned about our protection, about our rights, about what's good for me, about my religious freedoms. We are not focused on the, <laughs> the sole receiver of our rights and freedoms, right? Like if it's not directed towards him, who cares if you have the freedom to worship whichever way you want, right? We need to focus on the temple first. We need to focus on the church first and on our own hearts first. Get those right with the Lord. So they come back under Cyrus. They start to rebuild the temple, and they do. By the year 516 B.C., they have finished the temple. Awesome, right? Unfortunately, that didn't necessarily come with a whole lot of great reforms. They do make a few mistakes along the way. But... um, uh, in, in the year of 465 B.C., Artaxerxes takes over in, uh, the, in Persia, becomes king of Persia. And in the year 458 B.C., he sends Ezra the scribe to Jerusalem. Now, Ezra the scribe, we're going to see, we're going to establish who he is. He is a priest before the Lord. It is all fine and good if you've got a temple, but if you don't know how to worship the Lord in that temple the way you're supposed to worship, what good is it going to do you? So Ezra is sent, and we're going to pick this up in Ezra chapter 7, verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Why did I take all that time to read all of those wacky names? What is, it, what is the end? Aaron. 
Aaron is the first priest. This is establishing that Ezra is from the direct lineage of the chief priest Aaron from the time of Moses. Okay, so this guy, he's got it. He knows what to do. Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord God was upon him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, month, which was the seventh year of the king. So this is the seventh year that King Artaxerxes is reigning. He sends Ezra to Jerusalem. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I'm going to repeat that last verse. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the guy we want coming to the temple, right? This is the kind of person that you want teaching you the word of the Lord. Somebody who has set his heart to study the word of the Lord and to teach it to people. I pray that that's the kind of person that I am. Ezra 8, 15. This is Ezra speaking. He's been on his way, and he gets there, and he realizes there's not a whole lot of Levites to, to, to serve in this temple. There aren't a whole lot of ministers I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Jorib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Edo the leading man at the place, Casiphia, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casiphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. So he's looking for Levites. He's looking for people who can come to Jerusalem and minister, right? And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and kinsmen. Also Hashabiah and with them Jeshahiah of the sons of Merari with his kinsmen and their sons, 20, besides 220 of the temple servants who David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. So he has to go out and he has to, again, establish the lineage for these people. Are they able to come and minister in the temple? He's got to find the right people for this job. Now he's there and he says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. I love this because he's like, man, I told the king when he sent me that God is going to protect us. I am not going to ask that king to protect me. Like, I love this because again, it gets back to, I feel like in this country, we have this desire to have other people protect us, 
to have our government protect us, to have, you know, make sure that we've got the laws and rights established to protect us. And God is saying, hey, I got this. I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. But what does, he doesn't just assume that it's going to happen. Ezra doesn't, right? He fasts and he prays and he seeks the Lord for three days before he brings the Levites back to Jerusalem into the temple. All right, are we seeing some patterns here? We're going to pick this up. Okay, so in 445 BC, along comes Nehemiah. Nehemiah has been the cupbearer for the same king, Artaxerxes. He's his cupbearer and he's you know, he's kind of sad and because he, he hears what's happening in Jerusalem. And he knows that the temple has been set up, but he also knows that the walls have not been repaired. And Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem to become the governor. All right? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa. That's in Persia in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So this is what's been established, right? They've we've built the temple, but they haven't repaired the walls. And when Babylon had come in, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls with fire. And Nehemiah is realizing that's still the case. It's not fixed yet. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there." They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So Nehemiah finds out that that Jerusalem is still not being rebuilt, that it's still not habitable, right? And his response is, God, come on, really? Like, aren't you going to take care of us by now? Seriously, God? It's been, a, it's been like 100 years at this point. Didn't you say you would? No. What is his response? I'm so sorry, God. Now, is, is Nehemiah the one who broke the covenant? No. Who broke the covenant? Nehemiah's parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents. 
And yet his response is to fast and to pray and to repent and to seek his, seek the Lord and say, God, forgive us. We broke the covenant, but you said that if we come back and begin to seek you, you'll, you'll bring us back. You'll bring your people back. I'm asking you to bring your people back. Where are the Nehemiahs? Where are the Ezra's? Are we going to be Nehemiah? Are we going to be Ezra? That's my question that I want us to think about today. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah. I'm sorry I'm reading a lot, but I feel like it needs to be established, right? In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So remember, he's the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, right? Now I had not been sad in his presence. I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, "Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart." Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, "Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire?" Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. The Lord turned the heart of Cyrus to send the people back, right? Now the Lord has, has turned Artaxerxes towards Nehemiah and said to Nehemiah, hey, what's wrong? Nehemiah didn't have to, he didn't have to make it happen. He didn't have to go out and establish himself, right? He was just there doing his job, serving the king, and the king goes, hey, what's up? You okay? And he's like, Okay, and he's, I love that he says, so I prayed to the Lord. So you just see him kind of close his eyes and go, all right, God, all right, God just let, let these words be heard by my king right now. And he prays, and he um, tells the king what's, what's going on. And the king says, okay, fine, I'll send you. And Nehemiah is sent to become the governor of Jerusalem along with Ezra the scribe, all right? So we all established in what's happening now. Very good. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Okay. So I've fast-forwarded six chapters, right? Nehemiah has come. He's met with Ezra. He's met with the leaders. They've started rebuilding the walls. They've started repairing Jerusalem to the point where they can live there now. They have, they have had some opposition. There's been some people trying to stop them. But the Lord and the king works and, and Nehemiah is able to go back and begin to rebuild the walls, okay? And they get to this point where they're like, all right, we're pretty good. We're ready to move in now. And here we are in chapter 8, and all the people assemble by the water gate. I feel like there's, like, so much in here that I feel like I want to, like, go and study. Because I'm like, what's the water gate? I don't know. Okay. Uh, 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Okay. So we established this is the first day of the seventh month. Ezra brings the word of the Lord. Anybody who can understand. So what, at what age do you understand? You know, is it five years old? Is it 12 years old? It's men, it's women, it's anybody who can understand is brought to hear the word of the Lord on the first day of the seventh month, right? And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who can understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay, Nehemiah, Ezra are there. They're bringing the people in. Anybody who can understand is there. I have no idea how many people there are. But anybody who can understand is there, and every ear is attentive to the word of the Lord. For some of these people, this may be the first time they've ever heard the word of the Lord. They're paying attention. All right? And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a whole bunch of people. And in verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. He opened, okay, so they built this platform for him to stand on. Right? And he's up and he's above them all. I love that this says they built a platform especially for this purpose. He opens up the book and he begins to read. And they all stand. And their hands shoot in the air. And some of them fall prostrate before the Lord because they're hearing his word. They're hearing his law. When is the last time you saw that happen? I don't recall ever seeing it happen in response to the word of the Lord. Can you imagine if we did that? If we all stood, our hands shot in the air. Verse 7, there's all these people um, who are there to help and teach. These are the Levites, and they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Their response, stand up, shoot your hands in the air, prostrate before before the Lord, and weep at the word of the Lord. And he's like, oh wait guys, no, this is happy time, all right? Don't Don't be sad. This is great, this is awesome. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13, on the second day... 
Okay, so they went home. They're all happy. They eat the fat. They drink the sweet. That sounds like a fun meal. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They're in the seventh month, right? And this was the time that they're supposed to celebrate the festival of booths. So they're like, oh, we we better do that. This is where we are right now. Um, and they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that to the day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Do you remember when we talked about Josiah, that when Josiah finds the book and he opens it up, what time was that in? It was Passover, right? And so they had to, they were like, oh, shoot, we're supposed to be celebrating this thing. And they went and had a big feast. And here we are, fast forward to the days of Ezra, and they read the, they read the book of the law, and they go, oh, man, we're supposed to be having a big feast. Like, when we read the word of the Lord, it's fun. Like, it's not like, oh, read it and weep. It's no, read it and rejoice. Read it and have a party. We are entering into the time of our own Christian feasts, right? In this country, Thanksgiving. Then we get into the Christmas season, right? And, and this is the time of great rejoicing. Can you imagine, like fast forward in your head uh, a couple hundred years and nobody's celebrating, you know, Thanksgiving anymore and nobody's selling, celebrating Christmas anymore and nobody's celebrating Easter and you come back and you're like, wait, guys, here, look at the word of the Lord. <laughs> According to America, maybe that doesn't work, but you understand what I'm saying, right? You know, like, oh, no, guys, come on, let's have a big meal and have fun. You know, this is where what they're facing right now. So this is the seventh month. They have celebrated now for a week, and now they're on the eighth day. And they're like, all right, we had our fun. Now it's time to get serious, right? Chapter 9, now on the 24th day of this month. Okay, we're still in the seventh month. The first day was they read the word. Everybody kind of reacts in this, oh my goodness, kind of a way. Then they have seven days of celebrating the festival of booths. Fast forward another, what, 14 days, two weeks, right? And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. What is a quarter of a day? What's a quarter of 24 hours? For six hours, they stand there and read the word of the Lord. And then the next six hours, what do they do? They confess their sins, and they pray. Folks, 
When's the last time you saw any American do anything at all for six hours? Much less something like reading from the Bible. Uh, okay, YouTube. My, my student just confessed that she is on YouTube for six hours at a time. That may be more like 12. Oh, jeez. Okay. Seriously. Seriously. What would happen if I said, okay, guys, on the 24th day of next month, we're all coming together and we're going to read the Bible for six hours? Justin is there. If I do it on YouTube, maybe Maddie's there too. Right? Are we coming? Who's with me? And then you're going to spend the next six hours repenting and crying out to the Lord and seeking his face. Twelve hours. Pastor Rodney, how many people can you get to a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night for two hours? Not too many, he says. Are there sandwiches? Justin would like to know if there's going to be food. There's no mention of food in the text. We can read into it and imagine maybe they had to use the bathroom and, and eat at some point. But, but is it there? I don't know. Like this idea. Okay, so I did a little research and I said, okay, we've seen repentance. We've seen prayer. We've seen fasting. We've seen reading the word of God. All right. I tried to do some research looking in uh, just statistics. I couldn't find any statistics on fasting, but I know for a fact from talking to people, the vast majority of Christians never fast, ever, right? In this country, we don't willingly fast. It's not something that's in our culture to do. We don't need it to be saved, so we don't do it. I did find some research. What percentage of Christians pray every day? And it's 55%. So that's pretty good, right? 55% of Christians pray every day. I think that probably most of us are in that category. What was a little bit disturbing is that 23% of Americans, Christian, American Christians don't pray at all. That's terrifying. But here's the question. What percentage of Americans do not read the Bible every day? What percentage of American Christians do not read the Word of God daily? Any guesses? Oh, my God. Well, it's not that bad. All right. 80% of American Christians say they do not read the Word of the Lord every day. Guys, if that is the case, then we are headed to this situation. And I think I would like to begin the call to call us back to the point where we are in the word, praying, fasting, seeking him, so we don't get to the point where we're taken off into exile. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, I want to do something. And it's getting a little late, but I think... Considering I'm not asking you to do something for six hours, maybe you can give me about six minutes. All right? Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites are going to go on to talk through the history of, of, the, of the people of Israel. All right? 
they're going to ex- they're, they're going to talk through what I've been talking about for the last year and a half. All right? I want to read it. I want to read it together. I want to ask you all to stand while you read it, but that might be asking for a bit. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I'm going to ask Noah to put it up. This is Nehemiah chapter 9. All right? Noah, we're going to start in... Um, we're going to start on verse 6. All right? I'm going to start in verse 6. If you want to stand, stand. And let's read this together. And let's just remember that the people of Israel, the people of Judah brought back to Jerusalem were doing this for six hours. They were remembering. They were repenting. They were seeking the Lord. This is the ESV. So if you have your own version, read your own version. I don't care. But if you're looking up on the screen, it's ESV. Ready? You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. You made, it, made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. You have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant." You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. 
even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to go light for, to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them to every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land, and you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would." And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer, and in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hands of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands." Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in our own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works." 
Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Father, we put ourselves in the place of these exiled people who forgot your covenant but returned with great fear and trembling, with great sorrow and repentance, and with great joy at the hearing of your word, Lord. Lord, please make us a people who live in this place, live in the place of humility, who live in the place of repentance, who live in the place of recognizing that we can only serve and follow you because you are a great and awesome God. You are amazing and wonderful, and all of your ways are good. Lord, Help us to revere your word. Help us to spend time in sacrifice to you. Help us to spend time in prayer. As we enter these months of rejoicing, Lord, let us just be mindful of the fact that we have these freedoms and we have this opportunity to come before you in praise and worship because of you alone and because of your sacrifice for us, Lord Jesus. God, um, just make us, give us hearts that follow you. Give us hearts that are ready to stand for six hours to hear the word of the Lord and to stand for a six more repenting and seeking your face and worshiping you, Lord. Lord, we need you. We love you. We stand in awe of all that you did for the people of Israel, knowing that this is our legacy, that this was our um, history, that you did this for us through Moses, through Abraham, through David, through all the kings, Lord. You did this for us. We praise you, Lord. We give you this time of communion and this time of worship. We give you this week. Help us to seek your face in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about the ministry of Anchor Oneana, visit us online at anchoroniana.com.